Welcome back for one of the most fun shows we're ever going to have. This is going to be a show with a startling reveal that has been planned by Doug. Uh, this is, of course, <laughs> Connect This. And we have so much news, so much news. And this is going to be a great opportunity for people to jump into the chat, ask questions, poke us, prod us. We'll talk about the infrastructure bill, talk about other stuff, talk about the infrastructure bill, talk about what states are doing with the money, what cities are doing with the money. Um, to do all of these different topics with no plan whatsoever, we can only have the all-star cast of Doug Dawson. Welcome back to the show doug dawson with ccg a man who only takes an hour off each week to do the show that's it well actually i take two hours off one to get ready for the show you know because <laughs> today i have a special reveal for you because uh to me i think that we just got christmas early at the broadband uh, industry and so i need to show you my latest grateful dead christmas sweater nice. <laughs> all right we are we are now ready for christmas and and uh in November, we're going to always remember this for the rest of our 20 years in the industry. So. Does, it, does this mean you're not joining us in December? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, I, I, I just have to come up with a new shirt. <laughs> I like it. Um, Doug is, uh, do, does tons of work uh, helping cities, uh, private companies, anyone who's trying to do interesting work around broadband. They work with CCG. Um, we also have Kim McKinley, who is with Utopia Fiber the CMO and VP and um, I don't know, my favorite person, MFP um, <laughs> in the whole world. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this infrastructure bill. I'm pretty sure I won the bet against Doug, so I'm just going to sit here and gloat the rest of the show. Yeah, the like, infrastructure bill got signed. I literally, like the day afterward, I was like, you know what? This whole idea that I had of not planning for what happens if the infrastructure bill actually gets signed was not a good idea. <laughs> Totally unprepared. What do I owe you? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, last I time, yeah, we had like wings. Like we had got to watch people eat wings last time. So I have no idea. We'll figure it out by the end of the show. Speaking yeah. of wings, we have a person that I'm going to buy a lot of wings for next year. Travis Carter. Welcome back. USI Fiber. Hello, Chris. What is the topic of today? Did something <laughs> important happen in Washington or something? Or? Today. The infrastructure bill. Well, actually, we have this is a very this is a great show for multiple reasons. Another one is that we may have another bet created. Uh, Sean, uh, Sean, um, Sean is not here. Um, but Travis, who is here, uh, and I were talking on the phone, or maybe it was a text, and he challenged me, and I wanted to to get Doug and Kim's ideas about whether or not this is a good bet that I should take. Travis says, "What are the odds that in two years we will see a noticeable difference from the infrastructure bill?" Ooh. Do you remember that, Travis? I do remember that. And I thought you just ignored me. So bring <laughs> it on. And, and which side of it is Travis on? Uh, Travis is on the there will be no noticeable difference. And I'm oh, on yeah. the yes. I'm with Travis. I'm kind of with Travis, too. They're not, they're not even going to start taking grant requests for a year. You know? To be fair, I did think about this and come up with my position with Travis before I realized that NTIA cannot even determine how much money each state gets until the FCC finishes its map, which it is being sued on <laughs> <laughs> for like who it's selected as a vendor. So that is not okay, a good well, sign. So, so hold on. I have 22 wrapped up. I mean, in, in the barrel, right? in the bag, so, in the bag. There you go. So we're saying 23. 
I'll give you until 24, Chris. Okay, question though. Does it have to be infrastructure bill money or can it just be broadband over be, like generally? Because Travis and I only talk about volleyball and in broadband, I think it has to be broadband related. Okay. Because the, the other little things will be out there. there will so be here's my thing though. Huh? Here's the, oh, that's what okay. I was just going to say. Digital equity will be out there. We'll have, we'll have thousands of digital navigators at that point. So let's, let's make this bet. Let's make it happen. What the heck is digital navigator? <laughs> okay. Well, this, see, this is a good first topic. The infrastructure bill is what we're going to talk about for our first topic he, here. He gave you an extra year already. I, heard, I know. Yeah. You? I might go yeah. up to 25 with these navigators. <laughs> so, I mean, this Nav is serious. Navigate me to more chicken wings, Chris. What do we got? <laughs> that would be a chicken navigator yes. and not a digital navigator. Digital Ooh, navigators is this. Go ahead, Kim. You can't even remember the bets we took last show, and you think you're yeah. going to remember a bet that ends in 2025? Well, I wrote down the one that I was, I'm was i losing to Travis. So. <laughs> I figured there's official bets, and then there's just sort of like chit-chat bets, and uh, this would be an official one. Um, so let's, let's actually dig into it though. First of all, digital navigator, really great idea for like how one in a community, you have a bunch of people who are trying to figure out like how to improve their digital skills and whatnot. There's a person or a small team in the community that focuses on this, can help people get connected to subsidy programs, help them learn how to use their computer, get free devices, stuff like that. That's the idea of the digital navigator. It's taking off. It's coming to a community near you. Infrastructure bill. What does anyone want to talk about? Kim, what do you want to talk first about the infrastructure bill? It's not going to be the whole show, but let's talk about um, what strikes you when I say infrastructure bill. I think there is some great things in the infrastructure bill. I think the 100 over 20 um, was a big victory uh, for all of us and not 25-3, Travis. But um, I think one of the things is there's some like really kind of out there things that I still don't understand. Like, what is happening? We have all this money allocated for the EBB to continue, right? Well, that's great. But what's happening with the Lifeline program? Are we keeping them both together? What in conjunction right now? Or where is that going? Are we replacing the Lifeline program? I don't I don't understand some of that, where that's going to play out. And I also one of the, my favorite things in this, I think Doug is going to mention it, but the little label on broadband, um, like, what these incumbents are actually providing for service and how they can get around that. Um, and then the last thing is that they have a like a little thing in there about digital discrimination and how we are going to monitor if um, these big incumbents or anybody is digital redlining. How are we gonna police that? Like, I think that there's some great ideas, but I don't know if we can really operationalize some things in the infrastructure bill is my kind of first thoughts of what I saw when I looked at it. There's a lot of things in there. Yeah, a lot of things. I mean, the whole whole infra infrastructure bill. What is it? Two over two thousand pages. So, so did you actually? Small. Did you read no, it part is. of it, Kim? I did read it. God, so I, I struggled trying to copy and paste some things to Chris. Going, what does this mean? You know, it's fun. <laughs> multifamily. When they're talking about energy programs, multifamily has a dash, and in the broadband section, multifamily does not have a dash. <laughs> so they're not. The I don't two. read they're these not the things. Same places. That's two different places. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I do my I do my searching. Congratulations um, from how, so, to use, how to use a computer, Chris. Two thousand pages, man. I'm not, gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna go through it page by page. Um, the um, 
of what you had said, there was a piece that I'd, I'd really um, I'd like to follow up on first, and that is um, the transparency report, because ILSR just released a cool report looking at 50 different ISPs, uh, 10 big fiber, municipal fiber, 10 big um, cable companies, 10 WISPs, 10 uh, co-ops and whatnot. And uh, we looked at all of them for how much they... Um, are transparent about upload speeds, download speeds, and what people actually pay per month, uh, and found that, uh, first of all, the transparency rule has not been well enforced, um, that uh, the municipals and the co-ops do a much better job than the others, and the WISPs, um, it's a real range, I would say. They did the worst of the ones we selected. Some folks from the WISP industry have contacted us and been like, well, those are not the right ones to... Uh, share. So we're redoing it with a new section of WISPs. They do better. Uh, but still, it's pretty clear that co-ops and munis are the most transparent. So, uh, And I'm looks like I'm having some trouble with my Wi-Fi, huh? I'm on uh, a wired network. Am I, you're, good, am I, you're good here. See, yeah. I, it can't even tell me what I'm actually seizing up. I'm all paranoid. Your audio is fine. Your video periodically. You know. oh, it's I, rare I, that people I, tell me I, my I, audio is fine. I thought that was just his Twitch. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate, uh, the transparency stuff, I'm excited to see what happens with that. But we did just put out a report that um, that covers it. And uh, people can find that at either ILSR.org or muninetworks.org. So, um, I mean, when do they have to make that transparency report for the big telcos? Because I do competitive analysis all the time. And like I think Doug great, had, wrote a great blog about this. But you can't even find it in the T's and C's when you're looking at what the upload speeds um, are on some of the major incumbents. So I don't remember what the date was. Wasn't it like in a couple of years or something? Yeah, the, the FCC actually has to tell the industry what they're going to do in one year. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so, so that, that that's one of the fastest things in the whole bill. So, so let's talk about, I, I, we can do a quick hit on the, on the middle mile. Doug, how excited are you for a billion dollars for middle mile? Well, that'll probably do Western North Carolina, so that you know, as long as it all comes to here, I'm pretty good with it. So, <laughs> uh, that's an embarrassingly small amount of money compared to everything else they did. California yeah. just did three and a half billion, and that's probably not enough money for California. And so here we are, one billion for the other 49 states. It's like, yeah, that's excellent. So no, well, I, it's, it was an it was an afterthought, and I don't know why they, why even bother doing it. So that's what we were saying is that given the stretch on NTIA's resources, it would actually have been better just not to do it. Right. NTIA is already running too, too scared. Well, you didn't ask me the key question. You didn't ask me my, my impression of the bill. Okay. Well, let me just say, what's the key question? Go ahead and answer it. Well, I actually think it matters where you live. The whole, to me, the most important point of the whole bill is it's going to be fed through the states. Some states are going to give all the money to the incumbents. I live in one of them. The money's going to go to Charter in North Carolina. It's going to go to AT&T in California. And in other states, they won't Ooh. give a penny to the incumbents. And so it all depends on what the bias of the state is, and that's going to come through clear. And so the states are going to have a very large role in picking the winners and losers. And it's going to get very interesting. Because Do you think that, that's so. – is that is that going to move us forward? Is that still better than the FCC distributing it? Well, about 100,000 about 100, times better. I mean, it's still – I have another blog coming out going, FCC, please kill the rest of the RDOF awards, please. So yeah. I mean, those are such a disaster. They are actually in the way of this bill. So so I have a question for you, Doug. Like, I, I saw that, too, and I thought the same thing about Utah. It's going to go into a lot of the, the ILEX, right, or the incumbents. 
So can we change the rules or are these like set in stone or whatnot? No, these are state preferences. So the state yeah. comes to the state. That's the states, so, you know, a lot that's now the time is to lobby your states. My recommendation is if I'm, if I'm a community and you, and that's how you guys work, all the local politicians, all the people have to get behind the local solution and they have to absolutely come out against the bigger guys. And so that, because that's going to have some sway at the state level when no one locally supports because you're, you're going to find areas where there's going to be three, four, five, and six applications to cover the same area. I mean, you can count on it. Well, and Utah is in a good position, though, because yeah. at least in Utah, they cannot deny you, Utopia, from applying for the funds. No. In North Carolina, they can't stop Asheville from applying for the funds. They just won't give Ash it to us. Well, even if Asheville got the funds, they're not allowed to spend them. They're not allowed to use it. Well, in <laughs> yeah. North Carolina, they're telling people they can't even use their ARPA funds. So, I mean, we're at the bottom of the pile, just so you know. It's just so <laughs> frustrating. That's my, home, that's my home state. It's it's hurting me to hear this about my home it's, state. It's, it's, terrible. it's terrible. Travis, you excited about any of this? No, I'm, I'm feeling my bet is pretty secure. <laughs> well, I feel like, did you notice that your EBB, your favorite government program of all time, is uh, being reduced from $50 a month to $30 a month? Yeah, but at least it's not zero dollars a month, so I'm pretty excited about well, that. Well, and it's being pushed out for many years, which is good. yeah. No, actually, yeah, I, so I mean, right now the spend on it is two hundred and fifty million dollars a month, as I understand it. Yeah. Yeah, but like, what? What are, are we going to switch it? Like, I, I'm still really con like confused about the EBB and like who's really delegating the EBB. It's coming out of the FCC, correct? The FCC is it's going through the USAC. Yeah, it's so. going through USAC, and then I've heard uh -huh. all. These things that we're going to like, there's a lot of people out there who want to increase the USF funds, right? Like, or change them, right? Yeah. 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 So that's, let's talk about RDOF next, because yeah. I think that's a whole topic we can talk about and how that impacts USF. And we can, we'll come back to Lifeline, Kim. Um, I just want to talk about it, Chris. <laughs> yeah. So the interesting thing, though, you would, about, you would actually get more of his attention if you put your glasses on. Just so you know. Oh, okay. Excuse me. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, I can't even see you now, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> The um, um, the interesting thing, FCC Today released information that um, some rural areas that are non-tribal will qualify for the $75 a month they're looking at. And so that'll be very good for the most rural areas, um, uh, which for whom moving from 50 to 30 could be a big deal. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, the... Um, Travis has asked me multiple times, including at a, one of my favorite lunches I've had in a while. Thank you for that, Travis. Um, uh, he keeps saying, what's Minnesota going to do with its $100 million? And I say it's closer to a billion dollars. So I thought it might be useful to just go over quickly how the money that is coming to the states stacks up. Um, because I think Travis in reading it saw that each state gets $100 million, but it wasn't as clear what comes to the states otherwise. Well, and the way can, I read it was $100 million, and then there was this extra bucket that states could apply for if they had additional needs. And I'm not sure how Chris gets from that to a billion, unless it's all these other programs that have gone unspent at this point. No, a it's, a, point. It's, 100, it's $100 million each, Travis, from the $45 billion. And then all the rest, which is the most of it, then gets distributed by formula. It's actually formulaic. They have to apply even to get the hundred million. So they have to apply to get funding. Do if, they? If any, and if any state screws up, because you remember, there's a few states who don't yeah. have broadband offices yet. If they don't get their act together, they might not get any of this. Well, well what's interesting is that if they don't do anything, then localities can apply for the money True. to NDIA. Right. 
Right. It gets really messy. So hopefully the states get their act together. No, but yeah. that, they're they're going to take all the rest of the $45 billion, Travis, and distribute it. That's a question. A state like Minnesota, it's got to be at least six or seven or $800 million. It could be a million. So if, if they don't have a broadband office, yes, it's a political subdivision, but is it only one or is it many that can apply for it? Um, if they I don't have a broadband one. office. Is it one? Okay. They want it to be one, and it doesn't have to be a broadband office, but it has to be somebody, right? Okay. Right. So, so then, Travis, yeah, on the order, I would say like on the order of $700 million from the infrastructure dollars to Minnesota. Um, and that's money that... Who, who in Minnesota manages this? This is the Minnesota has a broadband office under DEED, which is the Economic Development Agency. And, what will and they they're the ones that have given out about $120 million over the past 10 years. And what are they going to do with this? Pass it out to all the rural communities and... Well, what they've done in the past is they've had applications, and in that case, um, the the applicant had to put up 50% of the project funds, and the state would match it, and the money had to be balanced around the state. And in this particular... And, is this and, it, and I should well? say, um, we assume it'll be fairly similar. They could do something totally different. But the other thing that's interesting for your point of view is that any money that the state has spent on broadband in Minnesota can only be used to purchase gear that is scalable to 100 megabits symmetrical. Okay, that's smart. But now let's talk about timing, because if you guys, I don't know how Kim's situation is on parts and pieces, but if we're talking that this money is allocated in what year? So let's just, let's just break it down to a dollar. Minnesota allocates a dollar, and then the, the person that applies for it has to put a dollar into it. Do they Not in this case. I think they have to put in 25 cents. 25 cents. So we have a buck 25. And what, what is our obligation to do with that dollar 25? Well, that's where you're going. The state's going to determine it. Each state's going to write their own broadband plan. So there's going to be 50 different plans. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And, and so they're going to. So Minnesota already has a grant program. There's no question it's going to look a lot like the current one. Okay. Now it's still got to follow the federal rules, so they have to tweak it a little bit. Some states don't have a broadband plan. They got a lot of work to do. But they're going to have a grant program, and then you will apply. And the, and the Minnesota grant program, you actually have to apply with shovel-ready engineering dollars. So that's how they that's how they know what you're going to do. Okay, okay. And so, so it's it's really a pretty decent program. So, so Doug, how do you hold on a second, it? Travis? Hold on a second. Yep. I want to see if Doug can answer, or maybe Kim. But I'm guessing Doug is the best shot. Um, what do Washington, Colorado, Indiana, North Carolina, and Tennessee all have in common right now? Except for one, I used to live in them, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) they've all lost the person that's running their state broadband office. Oh, heck yeah, they are. And and there's more coming. I hate to tell you, I I know some other folks looking for work. Yeah. I I was going to say it's like people like where I've dated. I mean, I've (laughs) (laughs) They date you and they just spread out around the United States. (laughs) I liked our answers better. So, but it's a big deal. So we have a podcast coming out probably a week from Tuesday because I don't think we're going to run anything next Tuesday um, with um, Russ Elliott, who's the former um, Washington one. And and I think it's really important because it's under like as we're talking about this, Travis, we are not just talking about states that have to develop their new broadband plan. We're talking about states that cannot find anyone with the necessary experience who are willing to work under the conditions and the wages that will be available for this when there's so much more money to be made um, being a consultant. Mm-hmm. On top of that, these grants are going to be brutal. There's a challenge process. These are not going to be easy grants to give out. They're going to, they're going to be hard work for the people at the state. I mean, very hard work. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. we just... 
we just um i think again um <laughs> um i don't know kim the last time you applied for an rus grant i'm guessing you guys feel a little bit burned um <laughs> the um but we were i was on a call and someone was talking about how exciting it was that the the re the reconnect program that has come out is has all these preferences for the things that we like uh in terms of municipal and cooperative and uh net neutrality and this and that and someone's like yep but the paperwork is worse than ever <laughs> it's just impossible to deal with it's impossible to deal with usda is what people are saying it is yeah it's so, it's not fun but yeah no i i i have a question for you we're like i know that some of those people who are broadband directors our state broadband directors left for the federal level are we seeing them go to the federal level or where are these people who are broadband directors going in the consulting field from what most are going to private industry yeah i mean russ is going to an isp right mm -hmm. yeah he's running siskiyou telephone in northern california yeah, yeah. Hmm. travis you were going to ask um well, I, Doug something I, about I, the I minnesota bill fathom how you'd how you'd even budget and financially model one of these programs out because if if you're, I don't know what Kim, I don't know what you guys are seeing down there, but we're seeing 23 to 40% increase in material costs. Just since January, we're seeing vendors, even if you, you know, if you put your order in, they will not guarantee you pricing beyond 30 days. Hold on a second. I think we're actually, we're in a time loop because Travis said all this three times well, in previous shows. <laughs> I, I keep saying it. So, so if, so if you're going to go get one of these grant dollars and you have a fixed amount you can get, but the industry is running away from you with inflation how, how do you even model one of these things out how do you do a five-year plan yeah, like, I mean, I think that's you, you put a very large contingency in your model what 200 <laughs> percent? maybe yeah and then there's and is there a benchmark of how many homes you have to pass and service no no there isn't okay. well the state may again each state hey, may okay have, the state may the, may the states are probably going to do the most rural places first and work their way down and if a state really ends up serving the whole rural area, some of this could come to cities. So it's not, well, but, but it's going to start in rural. It's going to start rural. Okay. Let's, so let's pause the infrastructure for a second because I wanted to get back to this issue of Minnesota with a billion dollars. So we have the 700 million or so roughly that we might expect from the infrastructure bill. Now the rules have come out for the coronavirus capital projects fund, which was in the rescue plan, which is administered by treasury. That's a $10 billion total allocation. Minnesota is expected to get 180 million from that. It has different rules that are largely similar. But what's interesting is that areas that don't have 100 down and 20 up are all eligible. And so that is like the most flexible money while the infrastructure dollars are the least flexible money. And then in addition, you have all of this local uh, money that's been injected through the rescue plan that could be used for broadband unless you live in North Carolina. Can I so ask that's, you a question? How is this going to be any different than all of the other money that we've thrown at like states to get like connect from all on? We haven't thrown a lot of money in states. What money have we thrown in states before? Well, I mean, we've. I mean, Minnesota has has the most progressive grant program, and they've spent a hundred million dollars in ten years. It's not been a lot of money. Well, so, I know, but do we think? Yeah. I mean, through the years, we throw money federally at incumbents and everything. This is actually going to states. Do we? Right, think that's where we fixed. Like it took fifteen years, but I did it, Kim. <laughs> I'm taking full credit. And when it all oh. burns, you can just roast me. <laughs> this is a giant change, Kim. We're going to give the well, money to states. But, states well, can give it to the incumbents. Do we, like, do, we <laughs> do we really think all this money is going to be a game changer in the broadband? No, it won't. We're going to in we're some gonna places. The same thing it's in five years. Vermont's going to have like Vermont, Mississippi, and Arkansas are going to be like wall to wall fiber, and and, and AT and T is going to be like just 
doing r- ridiculous golf parties in California for the lev- for the I, lobbyists. I mean, Arkansas really, I, I believe they will probably get broadband everywhere. So some states are going to do this right. Other states will make hardly any difference. And so there's going to be, this is like every grant program. There's going to be a couple that are shining stars. There are going to be some that are total duds. It's not going to be 45 billion of good programs. There's going to be a lot of mess out there. Yeah, but then that. This is yeah. good. And they fund like we can actually I feel like this is one of those things that like in a lot of things in American life, we refuse to let the stupid states do stupid things. And I don't say right. stupid states like I'm not saying that like one state is stupid all the time. Like all states are stupid at one thing or another. But like there's always some massive guardrails. We don't have good guardrails here. And so we'll finally be able to say, look, this state was smart. This state was not, and like you can like actually make definitive conclusions from it. Yeah, but that so what? That all means we end up with a report card five years, and it does. That's what I do. (laughs) This goes back to our previous statement, but you have to have a good person at the broadband office who is managing this and making the rules and the five-year plan. Because if you don't have somebody who's educated in this field, you might be going down a path before you even really start a bad path. So how, how can we get people in the broadband offices that are educated and know how all of this works? Because we're putting a lot There's of pressure a, on that. There is some philanthropic work to try to create a lot of materials to help the people in the offices. Um, I have a, had a little bit of a peek behind the scenes at some of that. I think that's going to help. People like Joanne Hovis at CTC will be creating a lot of materials that I hope will be relied upon in, in many of the states. Um, and so, like, I, I think it's more a matter of, of trying to have – handholding for those who are honest and really want to try to make a difference as opposed to those who are just trying to um, get their paycheck at the end of the day and, and go home. But here's where the real challenge comes in. So, okay, let's say Joanne or someone helps them and they get their plan all worked out. The day the wheels fall off is when 450 grand applications show up at their door. Let yeah. me tell you how, that, cause that's literally an impossible task to review them. And so and that, that's where, that's where the wheels come off and they're well, just going to be paralyzed. And so as long as they can take forever to get them reviewed, they'll get through them, but it's going to. Right. Because who's going to review it? Every single person who's qualified to review it has a conflict of interest because everyone's working on pro- creating them. Correct. So it's going to be really hard. I'm seeing some states right now or even that have not figured out what to do with last, their care money yet. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, they're and they have really one month struggling. Left. I know, and they really don't have a plan yet. That's honest to God. I'm not kidding. All right, let's get out of infrastructure. Any last points on infrastructure? Um, I have one. Frontier? Really? Frontier, Doug? Tell me they're not going to give money to Frontier. I'm so worried about this. Of course they will. Yeah, there are a few states will. You watch. A few states will. I don't see that. I don't that's where this. the state bias comes in. The state bias is going to probably make it hard for a few of these guys. Which state? Can anyone guess which state is going to give money to Frontier? I will say West Virginia will not. I'm going to, I'm, I'm West Virginia will not. West Virginia hates them. It's sort of, at this point, I believe it's, it's embedded in the genes. So I'm pretty sure they will not. Um, But there's definitely states in the Midwest who will. Mm -hmm. Guarantee it. Uh, We have one question from the audience. I asked for a last call, last infrastructure pieces from folks before we address this question. I, I know I put my Christmas shirt on, but I'm, it's going to be five years or six or seven years till we know if this thing was any good or not. It, it could be a disaster. It could be awesome. Right, I, it's, such that, a, it's such a giant range of possibilities. Yeah. There's, there's, no, there's no bet then, right? Just so I'm clear. I don't want to wait five uh, years. That was no bet. Since found I just out, found out I lose. I, just I, bet, think, I bet both I think, good and bad. So. I think there's no bet because it's very hard to, to define what noticeable difference is. Okay. 
And, I mean, if, you, if you can come up with better wording, Travis, you got a year before we oh, have to actually, I, that's easy. <laughs> you all make the bet on noticeable difference, and Kim and I will decide if it is. Oh, I, I like this. <laughs> yeah, but we all we know that you all like me better, so I mean, it's going to be. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't. Now I don't. Now I don't. <laughs> I, I do have one more thought. I do like how they, they, they expanded what anchor institutions look like in the infrastructure bill and who um, can qualify under anchor institutions. I think that is huge um, for digital equity play and whatnot. So I do. I, I, I was pleased to see that as well. And so let's, let's clear this up quick. Um, Non-rural communities um, access the BEAD program, which is the infrastructure broadband um, deployment, uh, if they have incumbents who offer between 25.3 and 120. The answer will be only after they probably, well, if you're a small town and you've got just barely over 25.3, you'll be in the mix. If you're a big town, they're going to come last and it's going to be up to, the, the states are going to do the true rural first. If there's money left, they'll go to the towns. So the answer is it depends what state you're in. Uh, if little towns are out in the middle of rural areas, they're right at the top of this. Rail. Well, like I would just say, look, it doesn't even matter. Use the CCPF money there. That's where hopefully right. the state will make that available. And right. and like right. there's a, it's more than a hundred million to every every state. It's so much money. Like let's let's uh, use it in some wise ways. I have a question for Sean. Is it because, like, are we talking what the incumbents say is twenty five three, or is it, or one hundred twenty, or what is actually being delivered in those communities? Well, for a lot of these programs, it is defined. You can develop your own data set locally. Yeah. You do not have to rely on what the incumbents say. And I think that is the key. The key point of these It's not that um, we're relying on what is being reported to the FCC. It is actually they can develop that. So I think it's a huge game changer. Yeah. Let's 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 do a quick one. Uh, data caps. Uh, pots and pans. Great, great post recently. Um, what's going on with data camps? Caps, Doug. I don't know. What was my post? Heck, I can't. <laughs> you probably wrote it three weeks ago, right? Um, Open Vault reported that at the end of the second quarter of this year, twelve point three percent of homes. That drives me nuts. Okay, I get all my staff all the time about this. It's twelve percent. Doesn't matter if it's point three. It's twelve percent, Doug. That's These what they. Re- that's what they reported. <laughs> homes using more than a terabyte of data each month including 1.5% that are using more than two terabytes monthly. Yeah, and don't you think that Comcast is taking that to the bank every month? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Mm -hmm. Because that that means, you know, one-eighth of their customers are paying extra, 50 bucks extra, 40 bucks extra. Well, and I'd forgotten. I've been been sort of praising Charter Spectrum, which is very rare for me um, because they didn't have the data caps. And then I read that and I was like, I'm an idiot. It's because they weren't allowed to. (laughs) The day they're allowed to, which is I think at the end of next year, the day after they'll be there Travis we could just buy wings and throw them on the floor if you implemented data caps no, I don't even understand. You know how expensive it is to monitor. We well, have to. Usage? Well, no, you can do it the way you can do it the way Comcast does it. They just make up numbers. Honestly. Well, that's the thing is, how do you know? So, I mean, I just I think it's it's a very you know like prove it, prove I'm over the limit. Right. That's what, that's what, our customer call center. No, 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 no. They send you the bill, and you have to prove you're not over the limit. Yeah, yeah. This is this is so much like where I get into this big rant about when I, when I learned that there was a Department of Weights and Measures for gas stations. I mean, among lots of things, but gas stations. I was like. That's right. I don't know how much gas I put in my car. I just hold the nozzle thing and like, you know, like, and so, and so this is where Travis, why we need a state that actually can measure things and make sure that this stuff is adjusted fairly. So because if the gas station was like, oh yeah, you just put 52 gallons in your car. I'd be like, all right, 52 gallons. All right. I, I think I think my favorite one about data caps is back a few years ago, probably five or six, right when we um, implemented like gig 
um, over here in, at Utopia, we were monitoring just to kind of see how much data was actually people were using. And one time we saw it was like the 14th of a month and somebody was already at six terabytes. And we were like, what is happening? Um, they're running, I hate to tell you, but they're yeah. running. The the, no, no, no. But the, like, <laughs> not in Utah, not allowed. The next, the next they're, day. They're doing something like that. Yeah, yeah. Their, their house caught on fire. So, um, uh, Bitcoin. But it is interesting. You are seeing a switch of how much um, data usage people are using. Back like five, six years ago, you would never see anybody go over um, one terabyte, no, but it is no. um, increasing at a rapid rate um, here. And But I, I, I am curious to see what Big Telco um, continues to do. Do you think they'll be challenged or do you think that they're just going to keep charging overages? Nobody can challenge them. The FCC has no authority over data caps. None at all. No, but I mean, will you? Do you think that other like muni networks will come in and like build because of like these data caps and like the the cities being so um, irritated by that? Because that's what we're seeing in Utah. Like we're seeing places that are served and well served by like gig service of the incumbents, but they're so sick of the games uh, that the big telcos are playing that they're willing to build their own muni network. That's what drives half my businesses working with cities. So they're not getting grants. They're doing exactly what you just said. Yep. Well, that's what I've been wondering about. I mean, am I, am I going to have to start laying off the wonderful people that are making this video possible, Marin and, um, you know, when normally Rye and others? Um, because well, come on, I have a yeah. Christmas. What a scrooge. In, in three years, everyone in the United States is going to have internet access because there's going to be a noticeable difference from the infrastructure bill. <laughs> And at that point, I mean, look, when everyone has six at three thirty three fifty six, write that down. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna write that down. But it won't be in North Carolina, though. Right, except for North Carolina. So, so exempting North Carolina. Everyone's lake home is gonna have amazing internet, but you at your real house, no. Right. Yeah. That's a good bet. The question is, will cities still want to do this when um, we get to that point and, and it's not just about having a basic connection anymore? Well, let me tell you why they will. We're, gonna, we're going towards what I call the reverse donut. City, you know, the center of cities, county seats are not going to have good broadband and all the farms will. Mm-hmm. And the cities have to put fiber in at that point for a protective measure where people are going to move out. And you got to remember the counties have structured all their other services to be condensed to save money and all of a sudden it's going to disperse and so they will be forced to build fiber they will absolutely be forced to build fiber sure but altice is is building a million new passings next year century link or lumen is ramping up um yeah but they're um, big but, but they're all big and they're going to piss everybody off and so who cares if they build fiber <laughs> <laughs> you won't like them any better than the cable company you don't like it's still them so yeah, altice has altice loves data caps go for it altice so, yeah. Well, that's sort of, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm saying that, I mean, Travis is sitting there being like, oh, I'm, I'm, you're only building in areas that have um, existing connectivity and you're doing very well. Right. I, I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, Kim's doing the same thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's plenty of, I mean, you, you just need. They find the occasional place that's unserved. Yeah. Occasionally. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but Kim, have you had, have you and, um, um, have you and, Oh wow! Um, yeah, um, Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so it's better than I, I've I've called my sister 
by my wife's name and my wife by my sister's name. I've called the kid the dog's name. Like I'm just it's it's a problem with me. So Roger, I'm sorry. I know that you often watch the show live, and I hope that you don't take that personally. Um, wait, wait, was anyway. Roger? It's Roger, your dog. I'm a little confused. <laughs> <laughs> also. When you and you and the strikingly handsome Roger are having um, <laughs> meetings, agonizing over the uh, the the amount of traffic on your network and whether or not you have to institute ba um, uh, the bandwidth caps, um, this was a lot better before I forgot everyone's name and started stuttering. Um, you know, does that ever come up? Is there is there any point? Like, is it like number thirty two on your list of priorities? Like, is it at all an issue? It is not an issue. We haven't. We haven't even. I haven't heard people talk about data caps and worrying about that internally um, at TV Utopia. Like, I mean, I might have heard it probably ten years ago, but nothing as of late. No, we we are prepared for the future, and that's one of the reasons that we built our network the way we did. Um, and I, I think it's you know no like data caps is like I would say that's like 1995 and at TV Utopia we're not even concerned with that, but it is a game changer. I mean, I think that's where like Travis probably gets a lot of his customers as well. When you don't have data caps, people will switch over to you because they are so sick of the games. They're sick of the bait and switch. They're sick of the data caps. They're sick of it all. And I think that goes back to some of the infrastructure bill and the transparency. Will this change any of big telco's strategies when they really have to disclose this stuff? Here's Should a bigger question. What's the penalty for lying on your... On the, the, the transparency label? Yeah, that's what's we know that's going to be the first. Well, here's the thing. Should the FCC require, let me go to you, Travis, first. Should the FCC require consistent pricing across the market, which you already do? But nonetheless, it strikes me, I do think the FCC would have the authority, if it wanted to, to say, you know, Comcast, any company, if you're in a defined market, you cannot offer different prices to different people. They can't today. They don't have Title II authority, so they can't do anything. Okay, but they'll have Title II authority, you know. Um, in, assuming that they get let's, it. So let's just get the June. Like June, they're going to have Title it'll, II it'll authority. I'm sure of it. I'll make a bet about it. it. It'll take them a year. Because it took them a year. It took Agit probably a year. It takes a year. Okay. Because of, um, there's all this calendar crap. But Thanksgiving Thanksgiving yeah. next year, Doug, uh, no, they I, will have Title II authority. They will. Anyone yeah. Is anyone going to take the counter? Because this is a, a real bet that we could do. Yeah. So I, I just want to understand the question. So you're saying in the area where Kim serves, the incumbent cable company could could provide service for five dollars, and wherever they're not, they could charge a hundred dollars. Is that what they can do that today? That's right. They can do it. They can do it today. They do yes. it today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But but in cable television land, there was a period when the FCC had this um, and they had authority in which um, a cable provider was not allowed to offer different rates in different part of some parts of the market unless there was effective competition, which was something the FCC had to proactively find. See, I remember, yeah. remember, they regulated the prices. It was a disaster. They unregulated it. They didn't like that. They regulated again. And then they unregulate it, and then they just said, "Let's do the competitive test. Everybody's competitive. That gets us off the hook." That is so they, good history. They, they did a very poor job of that. <laughs> See, I don't, everyone talks price, price, price. Yeah. I guess I guess we don't really focus on price as much as every you know that that really isn't the big issue for most people. They uh -huh. want reliability. They want quality customer service. They want. A, a consistent bill every month. They don't want to play any games. Well, that's the price issue, yeah. Travis. It's fact to a certain same point. Amount, same amount every month is what they. Well, want. I I actually think there is a bet here, another bet that we can make because I think Doug is a hundred percent correct in in a, a vision that you gave a few episodes back, 
of the hundred dollar internet. I am oh, yeah. convinced. I'm convinced you're a hundred percent correct. So the internet prices are not going down due to, due to competition. Right. Let's well, see. Travis, and I would agree with you, but I would disagree with you. I agree that people don't care about price, but when the incumbents, at least for the utopia market, when we go into a new city, we see the incumbents lower their price yep. to keep their market share because that's all they have. They don't have the, the like the great customer service. They don't have the speeds. So all they can play with is um, yeah, the price. What is your model? But, show but today, about? 5% of the market's competitive. So they're monopoly yeah. 95%. Yeah. Not too worried. So, so are, when are, are you guys like year three where you're, where you're the majority of the market? I mean, are, what does your model have? I mean, you, I mean we, we model it out for three years. But I mean, yeah. it just depends on the, the city and how fast um, the uptick of growth is. I mean, it, it's city by city that we see. I mean, we went into a little city um, in Morgan, Utah, and within the first three months, we had a 60% take rate. Yeah. Um, it just really, really depends on the market and what is the, the competition and how big it is and how close niche it is, like close. Um, so it, it, it's various factors, but yeah, we model it out for three years. Um, okay, okay. But I think um, there's one opportunity to lower prices and then they continue to go up. And that is basically going from a situation where we have a cable monopoly or you know, effectively a cable monopoly to bringing real competition to it. And then you can have that sort of one-time lowering of prices. And then you get back into a situation, I think, where prices are stable and start to march back up. That's my sense of how these things work. That's how it goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but there's, I mean, that's the thing. Is that like, go ahead, like go. are we about to be a $100 internet? Because, I mean, going to Travis's question with the supply chain and all these costs are going yeah. up. We can't keep lowering. Oh our no, price. we are, we absolutely are. But the question is, are you gonna are, are you having discussions that you can share, Kim? Like, are you when you're looking at this, do you do you think you're gonna have to start raising rates? Um, I think we um we are staying steady. Uh, that's our plan. I don't know if we can lower rates right now, but we we have the plan to just to keep them at, um, status quo, um, and not not go any lower. But I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, we would love to go lower, but I think we have to see how all this supply chain stuff really plays out and where that goes. Um, because Travis is right. I mean, you're seeing costs up to 30% and you're seeing materials only for a quarter or only being guaranteed by a quarter right now. So the majority of my clients are at least having the discussion about rate increases. Mm -hmm. Most of them will probably not do it, but they're having the discussion. Mm -hmm. So, Doug, you said in your in pots and pans, I think, that we would expect to see rate increases from the big cable companies in December or January. Is that right? Charter always raises theirs in December and and Comcast is always first week of January, so yeah, they're coming. Yep. So do you think it's going to be a double-digit increase? I mean, it's hard to figure out how we actually would operationalize that. I mean, Charter's just been doing five. They've done three in a row of $5 a year. I expect another $5. They could go for more, but they also sneak in. Remember, Comcast barely raised their rates, but they took their mandatory cable modem from $3 to $14. And they get you one way or the other. What do you mean mandatory? Because you got to have it. Well, you can buy one. They do. They do have a, a variety of models that you can purchase from Best Buy or other places. Well, that, well then they make sure it never works for you. Well, I'm, 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 well, I, I'm I was just going to say I have one in my closet. Yeah. Only uh, apparently my right. internet keeps locking up. But a small, right. small percentage of people actually do that. Yeah, almost. Well, that's that. what I was just talking with. Um, actually, the guest from Doxis, Glenn, was trying to figure out, and he saw in 2014 there was a stat that it was 90% of people um, uh, lease their modem, and um, I was curious. I would guess that that probably is closer to 80% if I had to just put a number on it now um, because of the high costs. Doug, do you have any sense? Uh, 
It's at least 80. I think it's market by market. I don't think there's anywhere below 80. Yeah. So. Which is very interesting. We see very different stats here. Um, mm -hmm. Most people here, we encourage people to go buy their modems because most of our ISPs do not provide um, any kind of router at all. Um, so, and, but you, you sign up for service and then you tell them, oh, you need a $150 router. Sometimes doesn't fly sometimes, but I mean, you don't want to get the $31 one off of Best Buy, but yeah, we see most of our customers purchase their own router. And so but you actually, you have an Ethernet core. Your network is unique. I mean, that's hardly anyone else does that. Yeah. And, and in our world, it's about 30% that take our, our router. Is that all? Yeah. Cause you know, they, there are certain people there, um, you know, not terribly tech savvy. So they want the ability to have somebody to call to help if there's a problem. Travis, Travis loves the, the guy who um, uh, gets pissed off at, at uh, having to pay for a router. And so gets his the cheapest one possible Whoa. and calls to complain about the service. Do you, do, you, do you get that, Kim? You get the guy that goes to Goodwill, buys the $20 router, comes home, plugs it in, and then complains that the internet doesn't work. No, yeah. we get that all the time. Or, yeah. or the person who's still running Windows 95 oh, yeah. and is like, why am I not getting um, a gig? And you're like, well, it could be your computer. One way we um, have started to mitigate that is that we take a speed test on site uh, yeah. before we leave our install to make sure that they are getting uh, what they paid for because it is a problem because you right. have no idea. Like. And well, we're, we're guilty till proven innocent, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't, you don't yeah. want clippy buffering. I'll tell you that right now. Oh yeah. Or, wait, wait a minute. That's that's gotta be like I don't even say. I, <laughs> oh buffing. yeah, it, 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 it's it's it's, it's a, a great stripper name. <laughs> Wi-Fi is by far and away percentage-wise, it's it's ninety-five percent of our tech issues. Well, I have a lot of clients who actually mandate the modem for that reason. Yeah. They don't make it expensive, but they mandate it. That way, they got rid of all those phone calls. Yeah, but the problem we ran into by doing that is then you have to, you know, everyone's got 800 things hooked up to their router. So then you got to run around and reset their thermostats and their refrigerator and their coffee pot. And it's just a nightmare. I thought you said you had good customer service. Well, yeah, but then the poor, guy, the poor guy's there like for six hours a day trying to get everything working, you know. And it's always the darn printer that doesn't work. Oh, no, it's always the printer. Printers it's always suck. the printer. Printers suck. And then you're now the printer tech support for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only going to get worse. I mean, what we're seeing is all these mesh routers and like mesh systems that are just a disaster in trying to, how, how long are you going to stay on site and troubleshoot yeah. um, with somebody's system? I mean, it's a balance and it's only going to get worse as, I mean, everything is connected to the internet now. Like mm -hmm. your refrigerator is connected to your Wi-Fi. Like, I was staying with a friend in uh, Philly last night and uh, row homes and uh, he had, um, uh, asked him what the Wi-Fi was, and he's like, "Oh, there's two of them, and uh, here, and it's the same password." And I was like, "Wait, you have two different routers?" He's like, "Yeah, they 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 don't really work that well." And I was like, "Well, <laughs> for one thing, they're fighting with each other constantly. <laughs> like you're in a you're in a like situation where you're like your neighbors are bleeding over, and now you're fighting with yourself. Like this is not oh, a good idea, is, man. Is this Turn a one of them opportunity, up. Chris? Is this a wonderful opportunity to talk about?" Trump's FCC and how great it is that they open up the six gigahertz spectrum for us for Wi-Fi six E to resolve all these issues. I, I love Trump's FCC. I, 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 just I, I just thought I'd mention that. 
Yes. So I did. I did ask um, uh, a legal mind who Harold Feld, who tracks this stuff closely, about uh, the lawsuits that are proceeding, and uh, he thinks it is unlikely that AT and T and others will uh, be able to dislodge that ruling um, because uh, they're trying to overturn that um, remarkably prescient decision are that came really? from Ajit Pai. Well, yeah, it's in the courts, the and final- the courts. If the courts were to do anything, they're likely to hand it back to the FCC to say, hey, do it a little differently rather than actually turning it over. So um, I was a little worried, um, but I'm I'm hopeful that uh, that that will not be reversed. Well, wait, we, wait. We, we, we need that spectrum. Wait for the thousands of conversations about how good wireless is going to be now because it's operating in six gigahertz. That's that's going to there's going to be a whole new wave of that. Five how long will it last? Five G will die. And now we'll be talking six E outdoor point to multi-point wireless and there's no reason to deploy fiber that's the next wave for next year well that's just i mean this is a this is a show that i really want to do we're gonna talk about this like why would you want 5g rather than wi-fi and it's it's actually really interesting i think in terms of the tools that 5g gives you in different environments uh and so we are going to talk about lte and how it differs from wi-fi and what situations in which it'll be a lot better so um i'll show that out there you do know that, that, that no general public is going to understand anything about that entire. Did you show. did you watch the, did you watch the Doxis show? I didn't. I did not. I well, well you're the only one who will understand it. Well, I mean, I love, I mean, I, I, I'm very deep in Doxis. I'm very, so, yeah, I feel I deep in Doxis too. When yeah. you said uh, Trump's FCC, and all I could think was uh, a Jeep Pie's Reese's mug. When you uh, <laughs> went down the no, no, this this is a this is a joke I, I always have for Chris when he has the chicken wing in his mouth. I'm like, remember Trump's FCC, and I can blood <laughs> vessels, you know. So it's it's my go-to. So I did want to talk about something that um, I, I, was, I we're going to talk about um, ISPs and um, and some of the dumb things that local governments are doing to um, throw money at them. Uh, not only the the big ones, um, but um, Kim, I feel like we should start off with your story of a smart community that uh, worked in a public-private partnership and. And uh, I feel like this is the green M and M's in the punch bowl, or the concert story, where like the, the ISP didn't read the contract, apparently. Yeah, like it was just an ISP um, or a vendor didn't read a contract correctly, and the city um, wrote a provision in it um, that protected themselves. And basically, when that's that 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 vendor did not um, hit that mark, um, the city asked for um, the stipulation and the money that was um, in the contract back. And that doesn't usually go over well. Um, so when you're writing a contract, if there's any cities out there, just make your, um, sure you're protecting your interest and not the best interest of the vendors. But there are um, some communities out there that are really playing very smart um, to protect the interest of themselves. So I'm, I'm excited to see that. Not to say we wanna like screw over any vendors, but um, it's time for the cities to take the upper hand in these conversations and protect their best interests. Yeah, this this came about because of uh, a situation in uh, Maine where uh, I was asked some advice about a contract with a wireless provider. And uh, the advice I I plan on giving is to um, say, you know, all right, well, if the provider says they're going to do 100% at this speed, then set a date and say, if you can't do 100% to this speed, then you give us the money back. Like, yeah. why not? Like, if they if they're really going to make these claims, let's let's hold their feet to the fire. And and that is actually absolutely what happened in the scenario I'm I'm referring to because what in the past is um, they like it's like well we'll promise this and then they never deliver it's over promise 
and under deliver or no delivery at all. So I, I believe we're at our 20th year now since Verizon promised Pennsylvania to have 10.1 DSL. I mean, no, I thought it was 45 megabit. Um, oh, yeah, no, 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 uh, not originally. The original, oh. remember, they were going to go through all the valleys and they were going to have 10.1 and and uh, they never, never, ever, 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 ever did a penny of it. So, yes. When Utopia started, um, like Salt Lake City was going to get fiber to the home by CenturyLink um, right. pretty immediately. And uh, I, what I referred to it as is fiber to the press release. Um, it's it's basically <laughs> what it is um, to stop these well, projects from happening. Or they, they also had a change of ownership who decided he wasn't going to put any more fiber in. But they were never going to do that. Anyway. Yeah, they were never going to do it anyway. But thanks, Doug, for giving them an out just now. <laughs> no, they but were never. Pretty immediately, geologically speaking, they're on track. <laughs> We'll have it in Salt Lake City in about 2050. I'm, I'm waiting for that. <laughs> AT&T so, says they are going to get 5 million new passings out of this new bead grant. Five million. They're, so the, they, those big guys are going after this rural stuff with a passion, man. Yeah. Well, 5 million passings is a there's, lot. There's passing. a community. In, uh, so this is a thing that, like, um, uh, was, uh, in the, again, in previewing the show that we're going to release on the Broadband Bits feed soon. Um the person I was talking to was like, uh, oh, well, there's all these different ideas. Like, you know, there's no model. And no, there's no bad ideas. And I was like, well, there's a bad idea. Oh, there's like, a lot of bad ideas. Because there's, there's a, I saw, I think it was in Indiana. I saw someone just gave like $18 million to AT&T. Just like, sort of like, here you go. Like, this money is too heavy for me to carry. Why don't you take it in this wheelbarrow? <laughs> Can somebody tell me the rationale that cities are having by saying, oh, we have all this money or we've saved all this money. And like, let me just give it to a private company i'm sure travis would take it if somebody came to him and just gave him but it's, it's a safe decision if travis spends all of his time talking with with a number of different communities who then like in the in the, like the like last minute in the 11th hour are like oh i guess we can't do that there's a there's a county close to minnesota where they they had a city council meeting they gave all of their arpa money to an isp they didn't talk to them first <laughs> they didn't. They actually sent him a check. The guy got a check for eight hundred thousand dollars, if I recall the amount. And he's like, "What's this for?" Let's he, give it to Bob. He yeah. doesn't even know if he's allowed. To, he didn't know anything about ARPA. I mean, he wants to give it back, and they don't know how to take it back. <laughs> Travis, you were going to say something about your 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 conversations up here because it does not seem like up here there's a whole lot of people who are just writing you a check. No, no, no. A lot of people like to talk about it. But the other thing is people don't, and, and I don't blame them, they don't understand how expensive these networks are to deploy. So when I send them a picture of how much we deploy for $30 million, they're like, that's it? Like, okay. yeah. I mean, it, this isn't, you know, you're not going around planet Earth for, you know, this is very expensive to go up and down every single street and hook up every single house. And then they realize giving Travis a million, which is very nice for Travis, yeah. is not going to be a game changer. No, it, it does. It does. I hate to say it does almost nothing. Right. Yeah. And then for one you, million. Well, but you, you just say, well, first off, it's how do we get to you? You're out in the middle of nowhere, right? Do you have, have you have you spent any money to get any middle mile fiber there? No. It's, you know, all the incumbents have it. So no, like, Travis. The first thing you should ask them is if they've done a feasibility study. Oh, Doug, that's my favorite. You know mm -hmm. how many. Is there a rule at the federal government of how many times a community can do a feasibility study before they actually do something? I've seen five and six of them. Somewhere. In a row? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, so, yeah. 
so five or six start, different consultants because right? they, they want to keep getting different opinions. I go, here, why don't we just walk <laughs> down the street and knock on a few doors? Hello, we're doing a feasibility study. Would you like high quality, low cost, gigabit internet at your home? And if you get five yeses, can we do it? Kim? So, yeah, but I think the thing is, when do we stop doing feasibility studies and like operationalize the feasibility studies? I think that is the problem of feasibility studies out there. Because I mean, I agree with you, um, Travis and Doug, like I look up like communities and you just see feasibility, feasibility study. And it's like a lot of these consultants out there are not saying you, Doug, I'm saying that they just leave these cities and they're like, well, I don't know what to do next. <laughs> like, no, I, I would say, I would describe ours as operational studies. I mean, we're, here's a, here's a, here's the actual dollars. Here's Well, especially now, because Doug, I'm guessing right, that you, right. you, you're like, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. who am I going to work with? Oh, I'm going to work with you because you're serious. I'm Whereas, only working with folks who are serious today. Yeah. Whereas Dakota County is like, let's do a feasibility study because we really don't want to do anything, but we don't want to tell anyone we're doing anything. So let's see if anything has changed since the last feasibility study that we did. Ugh. Yeah. Speaking of like that, my friendly boss, Roger, I mean, he pissed off one of the major consultants in the industry because some city around here was about to pay $100,000 to do a feasibility study. And he, he like sent him an email and he was like, Here's the feasibility study they did in another community. I just saved you eighty thousand dollars. Here you go. Chris and I talked about that we were going to create a site where you just put in your city name, and then we'll do <laughs> find, and, find and replace. We'll put a fancy PDF and email it back to you. Yeah, yeah. There are some really bad consultants. A really large city in Florida paid a couple hundred thousand dollars for feasibility study, and all they got out of, for the product was a hundred-page PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding you. No, you're not kidding. And I know who that is because oh, that's what every city's gotten out of it for 15 years. Right. <laughs> You've seen the PowerPoint. Right. What, are, what are they supposed it. to accomplish? Is it, is it CYA? Well, there's a, no, it's a period of education. It's like pay. I mean, I would say that it's about, and, and I think Kim and Doug will both have good insight on this, but I would just start off by saying it's about a start like educating us. Like, all right, like there's people in the community. That um, they don't understand this. So, like, write a report about our community that uses local numbers and talks about what we can do and what it would look like um, as a business. Okay. Yeah, the good news yeah. nowadays, most people who even talk to me want to actually do something. So, that this is a different world. I, but I, 15 years ago, every feasibility study I did went on the show. Kim? Yeah. yeah, I think it's a different world. I agree with Doug. And I think it's a different conversation than we were even having three years ago. Before it was it like is my does my community want this? And I don't even think that's a question anymore. Of, do you want it? It's now how do we accomplish it? So that's why I think it's changing the wording from feasibility study to operationalizing. And, and, and let me give an example of operational. So I have communities now come to me going, I've got the ARPA money. Could you tell me how much how many of the following things can I do? Mm -hmm. Get to the industrial park, Wi-Fi downtown, uh, low income housing, public housing. And they go, tell me when I run out of money on this list. And then they're going to go do them. And so that's a very different, that's not really a feasible. Hmm, okay. My heart is singing right now. Yeah, that's a spend the money study, right? So we're doing yeah, a lot exactly. of that's, that's what right. That's what should be done. And that's what drives me nuts right. is that you see some of these like large metro areas that will do a study. And it will cost a quarter of a million dollars. It will cost $300,000. $300, and, and what they really want to know is like, what, what can we do? And instead, they get back something that says, if you want to build a fiber to the home model like you're um, a big old version of CenturyLink that actually cares, here's how so you would do it. 
And, and it's, it's like, well, why would we ever do that? Like, we and wouldn't do and that. And it's two billion dollars. Exactly. Need. Yeah. No. What, what you want to say is, is that what if we appropriated a hundred million dollars? Like, what could we, what could we achieve with that? What if we appropriate? Well, the good news is, some of them are coming dollars. to me and they're first having that conversation. We make the list first, and then they write the RFP. That's how. So, you Doug, so Doug, if you're a community, and like Kim and I, we have an advantage that we have relationships with all these vendors and a history. So you're a brand new community with your. What did you say, Chris? Too heavy of a bucket of cash. Yeah, yeah. It's hurting my back. When when would you even be able to deploy any technology in, in today's world? I mean, who, well, who's, who's going to get their hands on anything? Well, first off, very few of these projects, the cities are not going to build them. They're going to oh, go figure okay. out how to do those things I just put on the list, and then they're going to go find someone like you to do it for them, and they're going to give you the money to do it. But these are real projects now. Hook up public housing. Here's how much we're going to pay yep, you. Yep, yep. So the, the you know these are good for you and good for them. So that's how they're doing it. Very few. Nobody wants to be the ISP to public housing. So so don't don't doesn't yeah. that set the table for the vast majority of the incumbents to get all the money? Well, that's who's going to probably get it because yeah, yeah. you know the charters of the world are in there talking to all these cities going just give me the money I'll take care of you. But you here's the thing, right? I mean, there's. I just ran into uh, someone that we'll we'll invite on a future show. I'm sure from um, is it, um, a product called Planet Fiber from a company called Planet Networks in New Jersey. Um, they're kind of building in this way. They got the bug two years ago, and um, pretty impressive stuff. And I feel like that's, those are the folks we need to figure out like, how to bring in. Um, you know, I've been. I feel like we, the last couple of years, the only people that have been coming in are the um the people who are like oh we could build a quick crap network and sell it to private equity and get out and that's what we're seeing and the question is can we get enough people that are serious about this and see this as, an, as a good way to earn a living um that's the question and i feel like this money even if a lot of this money is wasted does it create the seeds for an industry that actually comes up and not everywhere it won't everywhere but like I'm working how many more travises can we get i'm working for with a few cities who i can't say their name but they're, they're trying to do this with a nonprofit. They're trying to start a nonprofit, local ISP, good model. It's, I like the model. And I mean, for Utopia, we're working with Bozeman, Bozeman Fiber up in Montana. That's a 501c3. Um, yeah, I think you're going to see a rise. But Doug, you hurt my heart a little bit when you said we're going to see all these like big cable guys get it. But I think it's going to be a mix. I'm seeing a lot of people, a lot of cities, at least out here, who you're really you're, you're in the West, boy. You're not seeing that in the East. Oh, my. Yeah, and I think it might be the different of the demographics and what's happening. But yeah, I like a lot of people are like, I want to get this off the ground. I think that it comes back to the question of what is operationally break even. And I think that's what scares people more than anything else is where do I have to be from a scale perspective before this thing breaks even for us? Unfortunately, Kim, we have counties where the guys in charge still go, but I don't use email. <laughs> No, and then we have the, then we have a tech savage guy who comes to me with eleven great projects, ones who don't know anything. They're going to get taken. I mean, that's just the way it's. Going. Well, and we see places that that have done the work where they say, "Wow, that's really expensive," and I hear that this great new wireless product is going to meet all of our needs this time. You know, like Lucy's really going to hold the football there, and I'm going to run up and move my foot right through there and put the ball through the upright. Well, because they told me that twenty five three is the definition of broadband it must be yeah. well no let's be clear like they're out there saying like this will deliver 400 by 100 megabits per second across the Wireless. entire town wirelessly uh, mm -hmm. there's no such thing we well that. that's that's why i'm saying though when all this six gigahertz gear starts hitting the streets in the beginning part of next year it's going to start doing it and people well, are going to 
I mean, we can say that it's nowhere, but like Wispa, which is an interested party in this, claims that I believe they said Nextlink is doing 400, 100 in significant portions of their um, of their CAF two auction areas. I think. Mm-hmm. And I'm not seeing. I mean, I, I'm not seeing evidence of it. I haven't seen them offer evidence of it. I've just seen them say that that's what's happening. You know, I do speed test our country, and I haven't seen anyone actually yeah. speed test that. No, I'm, I'm just telling you, by this time next year, there's, it's, there's, we're going to be back to the fiber versus wireless debate. Do you, you think know. it's going to be everywhere, or do you think that's only going to be in urban areas? No, no, this, this is more rural. Because, okay. Because you'll be able to set up a tower in yeah. the six gigahertz band. Not to get too nerdy, but you, you know, you'll have a full do it, hundred, do it. It's hundred eighty really megahertz yeah. spectrum. I mean, you'll have a nice fat spectrum. And you'll be able to blast it out there, and you'll be able to get symmetrical 600, 800 megabit on speed tests, and everyone's going to go, oh, we solved the problem. But here's the thing, Travis, that I'm wondering about. As you go from 70%, let's say you go from 50% to 75% households using that, and their demands increase, and they use more and more of it. How long until they just run out of space, and they're once again just causing all kind of interference well, for themselves? It, it's the beauty of the whole six gigahertz channel. I mean, it's huge. It's huge. But you you are right. And in the but in these rural areas, there may not be enough users to. I mean, have you ever used LTE out in a small rural area? It's actually not I mean, bad. It's, it, it sucks, but it doesn't suck that bad. You know. But if but, but there if are you, limitations, Chris. You can only do so many customers from a tower. There's a, I mean, there's, there's physical limits. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's a, you, you ahead, have a Kim. few hundred. Let's say you have a few hundred on a on a ninety degree sector pointing out. I mean, you don't have a few hundred farms out there. Right. Yeah. So I, I think this is what I'm seeing, and maybe you guys are not seeing. And I mean, we can go into deeper. But I'm seeing counties more get involved in this and really want to start building fiber to the home in counties um, more than I ever have um, before. It used to be almost like urban centers or cities or populated areas i i am we're like at least for utopia we're hearing from a lot of counties um who know that they have this problem and how did they get to these some of these most rural areas in their counties and it's not about just that those urban centers anymore no, my, half, no my I'm client, half my clients are counties. that's exactly mm-hmm. yeah we're just we're going to be having the debate again here well i'm just i'm the issue was over. the other issue that i find frustrating <laughs> is i feel like people don't understand that for a wisp if you can serve enough customers on a sector to make money, then that's good enough. And if there's other people in town who can't be served, well, that's just too bad for them. Like, like it's not a job is not to be a carrier of last resort. And I feel like that's one of the things that, that local leaders need to be aware of is this question of, are you investing in something that will serve 100% of the community that's capable of that technically? It's an important question. Well, I mean, I think, I think most of the WISPs are like, I'll serve all the rural areas that are easy to hit from my tower and the cable. Are you going to put up a new tower to pick up five new people? No, you, you, no, you let the cable company deal with it. But I'm just telling you what the reality is. Cause if you're a three person wisp out there, you're spending all your day just trying to keep your network going. You don't, you know, you don't have a lot of, a lot of extra time to, to be, to be, you know, trying to bring on a few more customers in very hard to reach areas. Yeah, I, I did a rural compare a competitive study yesterday, competitive analysis, and this area had ten wisp in it. Yeah. And I'm like, they had ten wisp, and clearly it's not working if they're contacting us and we're working on a fiber of the home solution because 
they don't think it's good enough with all those tin wisps. I there. can't imagine that there's any throughput of that band. Oh, it's 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 no, <laughs> terrible. The problem is these people don't actually realize how good they have it, and they simply have been fooled into thinking that they need gigabit because they do not. Twenty five three is perfectly adequate for their needs, and they're just they're Hold just on. been hoodwinked by people like us. And if but they it's just been nationally certified, we found out today. <laughs> right the nationally certified yeah. broadband mm-hmm. uh, definition or whatever it is. So do you think that the game changer will be um, like agri- agri-tech and like fiber to the farm that we're starting to see? Do you think that will be a game changer for some of these rural areas? Or I'm, I think the game changed yeah. a while ago and they just they don't believe these folks anymore. Okay. I mean, I think it's just like this question of like who you're talking to. And so like, yeah, like I'll I, I talk to Wisp. I think they, they try to do the best they can. But yeah, when I start hearing this business about how nobody actually needs it and you can't really tell a difference between 99% of people can't tell a difference between like uh, my wireless service and a fiber provider. I'm like, but I don't think that's accurate. Mm-mm. It's because they've never had a fiber provider. Yeah. So, um, just well, to ask Travis the question. Everyone he hooks up can see the difference between the cable company. And his oh, and don't get me wrong. I, I am, I am a hundred percent pro fiber. I mean, I think everyone yeah. should should have fiber. I'm just telling you the the wave of this industry. You know how we finally seem to the five G conversation has finally crashed. I think we're now going to be picking up a six gigahertz conversation, which is going to pick up on that. And, and I'm up. I'm fine for that. I mean, if you can't tell the difference between fiber and wireless, there's a massive opportunity for wireless providers to overbuild fiber and to pick up market share. So that's awesome. Um, I just wanted to, I wanted to come back and, and just read this last question. Um, and I think to be clear, we're not saying that there shouldn't be a feasibility study. We're saying that there's like a feasibility study and then there's a feasibility study. Like... <laughs> And like, and the the point is, is that like they get called the same thing, but when you say operationalize it, you basically mean you're going into it and you're actually planning to get something done. Right. Mm -hmm. That would be nice. Don't pay $200,000 and have a PowerPoint or to put it on the shelf. And like, it's just not worth it. Just don't do it. I really feel dumb because I've never charged anywhere near two hundred thousand. I'm doing something wrong. Shit, I'm in the wrong business. (laughs) Yeah. Two hundred grand for a PowerPoint, Doug? You got what I can borrow? Yeah. I'll put it, in your but it, it was a hundred. It was a hundred slides. It was a hundred slides, but not any. But any of them were canned, though. So. But I want to commend Kim for reading that two thousand plus page document that the government put out of all. I the, think all she the skipped money. a few pages. She must. I, I, well, there was a lot of intro pages. <laughs> I know. I got to page nine. I didn't even understand half of you, it. You skipped the part that was like Genesis? <laughs> I'm not reading the electric section because I think there's some smart grid money in here for us, too. So yeah, that's where the multifamily with the dash is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, but there's a lot of good things. I mean, I, I need some sleeping material, uh, Travis. Do you not like read the infrastructure bill when you go no, to sleep? I, yeah, I watch, I watch YouTube videos. I get, that makes me fall asleep. So, well, I mean, so Travis has asked me this. Like, um, you how, know, about a, how about a YouTube video of Kim reading the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Page by page. Oh. There you Have go. any of you seen the guy? Oh, I think his name's Wes, the guy who raps Dr. Seuss. You can have Kim rap the, uh, yeah. the bill um, to Dre Beats. It'd be we- awesome. We know why I'm single now that I read the infrastructure bill when I'm going to sleep. But listen, so let me, I want to, I feel like I know what Travis is going to say, but Doug and Kim, um, I feel like Travis believes that we would be better off if 
that they just hadn't passed it, that this is going to cause more harm than good with the supply chain and, and the fact that states are going to struggle to spend it well and things like that. Um, I think we're better off. I think it's, it's going to be painful, but like we should have spent it three freaking years ago, but we can't go back in time now. So I think we're overblowing the supply chain because I think it's going to take them so long to get this money going. It's going to drag way out personally. So I don't, it's not going to flood the market. So, Doug, but do you think it's a good, like, you haven't answered the question. Do you well, again, again, I told you, I think it's going to be 50-50. I think half the projects will be awesome. I think half the projects will be a disaster. And that's typical of federal things. I mean, I think that's the same thing for RDOF. There's going to be some great RDOF projects. There are going to be ones that are going to be good fodder for my blog for the next 15 years. <laughs> oh, that's why I suck so much. Um, we were going to come back to RDOF. Let's spend a couple of minutes on it. And anyone who wants to leave can leave. That's the beauty of what we do. Um, no, you didn't ask me. I have to finish mine. Go, so Kim. I, go, Kim. Go. Better off. Um, I. He's got a big bill to read. Let her go. I, I, yeah, I do. I, um, I do think we will be a little bit better off. It pains me of how much of it's going to be wasted. I think that is my my heartburn on the infrastructure bill because yes, I do think we were there are going to be communities who are better off because of this money, but the amount that will be wasted in going down the toilet. Just yeah. I mean, I think when you look at it, like the way I look at it is this. Yes, some of the money is going to be wasted, but the return on the rest of the money will be so great. It doesn't matter. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's that we will still be net good, which is to say we're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on broadband in Vermont. And the people of Vermont are going to be so much more productive in coming years that we will generate billions of dollars of return on that in the future. And so for it is a worthwhile this, investment. But the places that do it right, this is electrification all over again. So it's yeah. going to be great. Yeah. So I wanted to include this. I sent this to people at the last second. Um, and um, we had a report on MuniNetworks.org. The Iowa Public Utilities Commission <laughs> took LTD to task. And it does not look like LTD is going to be able to accept money in Iowa from RDOF. Um, let's see. The part, the part that I really liked was the record in this docket does not merit the expansion of a credential that signals to the public that LTD has evidenced the technical and financial capabilities required to carry out the public interest obligation, obligations of those entrusted with federal funds. LTD's responses and actions lack the candor that the board would expect from a carrier seeking to evidence the expertise to take on this degree of expansion. Hallelujah a public utility commission coming out and just doing its job well. So many others just rubber stamp this crap. I'm just so excited for Iowa. Way to go. I'm, so, I'm shocked that they are preempting the FCC. That's awesome. Yep. That's, we need to the see The states more, are right? supposed to have a role in this, right? I mean, like that's, right. yeah. Right. All right. Well, the, the, the incumbents win. LTD literally argued that they should get an extension on this because they felt that they could, um, they had like six months or something like that to apply for their um, eligibility as an ETC. And they saw that it should take 30 days to get through. And so they waited until they had 30 days left before they had to fill in the paperwork. And, and they did it at the last second. And then they're literally like, that's their argument. That's not like what happened. That's where they're like, hey, like, it's not our fault. We did what we we're supposed to do. And it's like, that's not what you're supposed to do. This is awful. It's a, it's a sign that you're as bad as everyone says you are. Don't you so, think, I think, I think people more like communities and states and stuff are going to start standing up like this. I, I, that's my feeling, but I could be wrong. No, I Minnesota, totally agree with you. Minnesota hates LTD with, that's a But Minnesota, so this is the thing, my insight, my insight information is Minnesota will not do this. And so I'm curious, I'm trying to learn okay. more about it. But my understanding is Minnesota will not stand up to LTD. That's a shame. Because um, well, so, at the county level, they're just furious. 
But what is happening with Ardoff? And I, and I agree with you. Like, cancel the cancel the awards. Like, I mean, just like let's let's. Is it even make sense given how much the world has changed to move forward with these Ardoff awards at this point? Well, no, because here's the biggest problem. Forget forget who's getting the money. It creates the darn you know Swiss cheese, which means these new these new monies are not easy to use because they're filling in the holes of the Ardoff awards. It just they the FCC screwed up the entire national footprint with these awards. I mean, just town after town, county after county, what's left can't be done with a grant. And so, on, go ahead, yes, Kim. We talked in the previous one that if they turned in their Ardoff award, that they wouldn't, you didn't think that they would get more federal funding. Do you still stick by that? Or do you think that they could be awarded federal funding if some of these turn in their um, Ardoff grant? Is that to you, Doug? Yeah, that me? was to Doug. Oh. Yeah. No, I think I think if you turn it in, you're going to be on the bad bad list. Yeah. So I think what I think what they're like here in this day, Charter's going to get all the money to fill in the art off holes. Mm. They got all the art off, and now they're going to get all the bead money, and then that. And what I've heard is is that they're going to wait till the last second. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, the the reason I wanted to come back to this is I, I feel like this could be a, an interesting future show. Kim, you were mentioning the contribution factor, or you <coughs> indirectly, but like if with all this money that we're spending, arguably, we don't need USF to be as big as it is. And we could take some of the pressure off this conversation by actually lowering. Some, I don't want to blow Travis's mind, but we could lower the tax that we levy on the interstate communications in order to raise the funds for USF. It's almost time to talk about eliminating it. We're down to schools and libraries and, and healthcare, and the rest should be gone, I think. But here's the thing. like, So uh, talking to Siskiyou um, <coughs> County, uh, the, the tele, I mean, you got, you got um, 4,200 prem, and there's six miles to drive around it. And so I don't think there's ever a situation where they don't require some kind of subsidy to serve density at that level. So probably a small amount there. Would you agree, Doug? Well, if you give them subsidy to build a network in the first place, then they can run it. If, if these, you have technicians these, these that can do, if you have technicians that can only do four or five service calls a week, I don't know how how you can just pay for that on the, you know, on the even with a full fiber network. Well, then what? Then in that case, we sh we're really going to fall flat with all this beta money because it's going to the most rural rural places. Well, Cisco is probably the extreme, but Kim, were you going to yeah. jump in? Yeah. I was just going to say the. I think the USF <coughs> totally like scratched and like started over or like right. just moved because I mean the only people who are getting like contributing are VoIP providers, right? And like how is how old is that? How many people have VoIP or like telephone service, right? So I, I think it's it's where does this where do we why are we using the USF and we just need to either have federal programs that work or they don't and not that they're overlapping and we're just funding both of them from two different pots. <laughs> Wondering if Doug knows the stats, but I would guess 40 to 50 million households at least have telephone service still. Um, it's still at about 30%. So yeah, that's about right. 30% of 230 million. Yep. But it's going to continuously drop. So we're it drops. just eliminating yeah. US. It's actually the, the dropping has slowed down. Yeah. Like, cause on the YouTube. A lot of people who still have it now live in places where the cell phone's so bad you can't get rid of that's true. We see about 8%. And it's usually people who've had, um, like, the older demographics who've had the same phone number for 40 years, right. and they don't are not ready to get rid of that phone number. But, I mean, the youth is not signing up for a home phone. So it's, I just I think it's an interesting thing. I think I saw an email that flew that 
we, like a little petition the other day is that we should put more money into the USF. And I like, it just blew my mind that we were, well, there's like, I mean, they have like 10 billion left to still auction or was it eight, 8 billion, something like, I mean, they have a significant amount of money that was going to be for art off too, which at this point, like, it strikes me as just, let's just totally, even if we award art off one, just, just, are we going to do art off two? Really? Like if they're, if they're going to do it, if they're going to do it, they should give it to middle mile. They should fix what the, feds didn't do <laughs> i'd rather them cancel it but yeah well, i have a question about that why do we think that they only gave one billion for middle mile do you think like they just didn't think about it or do you think somebody like it on a, okay yeah, it, was an, it was an afterthought so they're going like oh we forgot middle mile it's already all been allocated. <laughs> i don't know i mean i just at the end the people who are doing this who maybe, are negotiating, maybe they think they might have thought that was a good number no, that's what I'm saying. I don't think they have a sense of, of what these costs are and things like that. I mean, they do the best that they can. They're good at uh, counting votes. And, um, you know, I mean, it's just one of my favorite stories. We can end on this. Um, in Minnesota, there was an effort in 2009 for the gigabit bill that would have made a gigabit the standard for speed in Minnesota. And uh, in committee negotiations, they decided that it was too high and it should be 250 megabits symmetrical, um, which is hilarious because you build the exact same network right. to deliver right. that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so um, if you can deliver 250 megabit in, in uh, that year, you are doing it on a all symmetrical like, fiber network. So, um, is, well, is, yeah, is it funny that Tom Wheeler was talking about one gig? How many years ago, and we've gone back to twenty-five, three, or a hundred over twenty? <laughs> like, are we? We're slowly working our way back up to a gig from those conversations that we had long ago. Hey, one one item, Chris, I wanted to add for Doug and Kim, and I don't know if they're seeing this, but a new new thing came up this week where current uh, vendors are only allowing you to increase your orders by twenty-five percent over what you ordered last year. So if you have a big, so if you have a big expansion project that you were thinking about. Yeah, they're all saying no because they're going to try to prevent hoarding of pieces and parts. So I don't know if you guys have heard that or not. Yeah, I've, I've heard every horror story. You know, yeah. some of the some of the vets had to required you to send in a uh, picture of yourself with your horse before you could get ivernectin when uh, the supplies are running low. Yep. Because horses are really threatened by the fact that the the supply was out of whack with demand. And um, Travis, just ask if you can send in photos of yourself with like empty reels showing that yeah, you yeah, used that's it. Right, that's right, <laughs> No, I, I just thought it was interesting. I think they're 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 trying the toilet paper one at Costco is the one I always thought was funny. You know, but when we were there, the people were hoarding it like crazy. You know, like well, uh, and that I think people there these vendors are worried that you know you're going to buy more fiber than you need. And to answer your question earlier, that the text we had, Chris, it's not easy to spool up, and these guys aren't interested in spooling up more more capacity because they just don't know what the long-term viability of well that was and that was my question was um, not about fiber but like i feel like handholds like the demand is going to remain high for a while i just i can't imagine i mean it's not like the u.s is the last place to build fiber once we stop building fiber in the u.s and yep. slow that down significantly you got a lot of uh, of south america uh, central america like these places are going to keep building over time too everyone in the world will eventually have fiber if we don't kill ourselves off before then so yes, I, I don't understand I that i'm i'm currently working on a project to bring fiber to Lagos, Nigeria, 23 million people. Nice. That's impressive. I have a question because I haven't gotten to this part of the infrastructure bill yet. I mean, it is 2,000 pages. But do we have a timeline of when this has to be spent or this money has to be spent? Or is there a stipulation in there? There, there is in there, but there's a stipulation that it can be extended. Mm. The NTIA has the authority to extend it. Yeah, because 
the money can't go to the states under statute until they have a map, and the map process is going to be screwed up by this lawsuit, it looks like. So, um, because the FCC chose a vendor and all the other vendors sued them and said it was an improper choice for who they were working with to develop the map. So, uh, I don't know a lot about that particular thing, but it's just... So, they're, they're, doing, they're doing a new map now? Is that what they're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and they can't give out the money until they have the new map. The issue lots is the, of, is, lots the issue of states is the, have their own good maps, but they won't let them use those. You know the, the part issue, I've never understood, Kim. Do you do you guys provide different service tiers, or are you I, are you gigabit only? No, no, no. We have different service tiers. Our like so we are not a provi provider, but our ISPs. It's usually about two fifty meg symmetrical, one gig, and then ten gig symmetrical. So Doug, how do you do that if there's if like Kim has gig everywhere basically, right? Yeah. Will the map show that, or will the map show the speed test results of the users that are running it and show that the majority of the ISPs are selling 250 meg packages? They're, they're going to report gig everywhere. So that's who, who, who's going to report it? Kim is the, the ISPs. Um, but I think first of all, Travis, most of our subscribers, new subscribers, are signing up for gig or close to it. Yeah. So it, it is interesting. What we've seen is if you have a three package system, most people go to the middle package. So with 10 gig out there, most people like have started to go more with gig. Well, that's interesting. We yeah. see most people go to the lowest package, whatever the cheapest thing they can get, because um, I think it's good. Now, I'm just curious how they're going to do the mapping, because like when we look at like the mini or the Minnesota maps, like our territory is complete is is all wrong. Well, know? the federal the new federal mapping rule still says ISPs can report marketing speeds, so they didn't they didn't fix the biggest problem. Well, well really, issue you can just say anything you want, huh? Like. Well, no, because they will get mad at you eventually if you do that 20 or 30 times in a row. Um, well, yeah, they the, will, too. That's 20 or 30, 36 month cycles. That's about right. And it's, it's, <laughs> not by, it's not by census block now. It is by um, a GIS shapefile. So in theory, um, you should be able to see every, every single house which options are available to it. And there's a challenge process that will be developed. And um, so Travis, issue, you can't complain about your coverage because you should be the one reporting it in the new shape. File. Oh, that, that, that's It'll fine. be exactly correct. But yeah. the, the thing that they're, they're stuck on is this idea that, and this drives me nuts, apparently the United States government does not have an agreed upon standard for how to report every last like parcel of land basically. And so this the issue of like, all right, so if I say that I'm serving like these addresses or if I give you a set of GPS coordinates, um, you know, in order of where I'm um, not GPS, but if I send you a, a coordinates of Latin longs, um, how do you know which houses are there and this and that? And that's where the company that is supposed to supply this fabric is what they call it. Uh, it's a challenge and we're expecting it to have a lot of errors in it because oh, yeah. um, again, it just, you would think the federal government would have invested in this a while ago or seeing this problem would say, let's standardize this and get it done properly. But no, instead they're just looking at different vendors. Well, yeah, remember the census counts the people who answer and then they use statistics to fill in the rest. They never have had a perfect picture. Yeah. And Kim, you, you guys on your you guys deal with addresses like crazy, I assume, because it, it's it, it's a nightmare. Address management is yeah. an absolute nightmare. Yeah, and I don't know if you've ever been to Utah, but we have a grid system here, so like every address has two addresses, so it's like <laughs> five hundred <laughs> east, seven hundred south, and then like the county might record it as Smith Street or the, yeah. the developer, and then the other person, their next door neighbor, has it recorded at the county five hundred south, seven hundred east. So it's a nightmare and then there isn't a universal system. And then mm -hmm. like, then you, I mean, you send like, we'll send out 30,000 mailers and we 
get like, we'll get a thousand back. And then the, the yep. postal service will say, well, this address doesn't exist. And we're like, we have a customer at this address. Virgin Islands. Virgin Islands did a complete 911 numbering of the whole island, finally gave everybody address. Yep. They just forgot to give them to everybody. Nobody, yeah. they didn't actually tell us what our address was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you have no idea how hard address management is. I believe you, know? you. I just can't believe it's not a solved problem. I'm just, oh, it, it's, it's so bad. It's and so bad. Is, is there a vertical home on the parcel? Is there not? Or, oh. I mean, it becomes like this huge, huge issue because when you're looking like from a GIS standpoint, they're looking at a community and they see so 30,000 parcels. This is there might be 15,000 homes. Yeah. This is literally why we have government because you would not expect any company or person to have the motivation or capacity to solve this problem. And so we work together and give our money to a group of people that is supposed to solve these collective problems. That's why I've, I get I've a little bit gone, upset about this stuff. I've never gone to a town of more than 5,000 people who can tell me how many businesses they have in town. Not one of them. Yeah, I mean, what we, what we how do could is, you not know your number of businesses? Well, every, every home we go by, we, we, we address it ourselves. And then when you go into MDUs, <laughs> we, we map out like one MDU might be unit ABC, the other might be one, two, three, the next one's 101, 101. And so we map every single one out. So, you, so you're, you're actually looking at the problem like the, the homeowners are looking at it. But it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous how bad it is. So there is no universal. Yeah. Uh, address system that I've found in our country. Yeah, you, like new developments are absolutely the worst um, because the oh, developer- so it's getting worse, not better. That's just great. Yeah. <laughs> one, like the developer thinks it's one thing and then the, the, it's registered at the county or the city level as a difference. So, and then you have to work through that. I mean, there's, I mean, I Doug or Travis, I'm sure you get this, but it's like somebody calls in and they're like, I want service. And then we're having like, our, my customer service reps are like, which house yeah. do you live in? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Or God forbid the house is on a corner and they've got a door here and a door here. You know, it's just, yeah, you're on Google Earth trying to see what it is. Oh, yeah. yeah all, right. All, right, all right. 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 Back to school, right? You know, we always go back to that where Chris is the professor on the whiteboard explaining how business <laughs> works. And I'm going, no, not at all. <laughs> it doesn't work like that at all in the room. I don't have a single elbow patch. <laughs> Thank you all. Uh, this has been very fun and uh, just a wonderful, um, it's, it's the second best Thursday in Thanksgiving, clearly. So <laughs> thank you all. And uh, I do I do hope we can get together one more time in December um, with the all-star lineup. Um, we don't have anything else scheduled for right now, but I want to do at least two shows in um in December. So I uh, hope everyone has a wonderful holiday next week. And uh, this has been another wonderful episode of Connect This. Mm -hmm.